All right, if you've got your Bibles with you um, or your device, open them up to Matt, or Mark chapter 8. I'm going to be in verse 22, starting in verse 22 this morning. Um, if you have a device, you can slide on over there uh, as well. Um, I want to just jump right in this morning because I'm excited about the text that we have. Um, but as we jump in, uh, here's something that I want you to do um, as we're kind of digging in. Um, I want us to kind of read this passage together like we were sitting around um, our dinner table. Um, I don't know where you do, do devotions with your family or if you do devotions with your family or how you do your individual devotions, but I want us to kind of approach this text um, like, like we're just sitting down with Jesus and we're asking some questions uh, of him and saying, what do you have for me in this time? Um, what, we're, 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 Jesus, I desperately want to be with you. I want to know what you have for me right now in this time. What is it here that you want to use to change me? What is it in here that you want to use to challenge me? Um, where do you want to change my thinking? Where do you want to challenge my action? Um, how do you want me to maybe even think differently about you? And in turn, would you do something in me and, and allow that to be catalytic in, in how I live my life right now? Not just more head knowledge, but how can you use this to motivate me into change and to live out the gospel call that you've put into my life? I don't know how you approach your quiet time and your study time, but as we're together, let's just be around the table together and let's approach the Lord like that. Um, as we dive into the scriptures, I think there's something that we need to know uh, about them that most of us in the room may already know, but sometimes it just kind of gets pushed out of our mind. But here's the reality that we need to know about the scriptures, about God's word, that his word, it's meant to inform us, right? And everybody in the room, we're like, well, duh, that's why we read it. Like his word is meant to inform us so that God can use it to transform us, right? The word was never meant to just sit dormant in our lives. It was never meant to just sit on the shelf and do nothing for us. Um, it was always meant for us to, to read and, and to, to open up our mind and allow God to do some work in us. But it's not like we just, you know, kind of peel back the dome piece and just start shoving more information in and more information in. And that's just all that we do um, with it. It was meant to um, come into our lives for us to read it to us, to take it in and to understand it so that we might begin to allow it to transform our lives. And so the word of God, our Bibles, it's meant to inform us so that God can use it to transform us. And so as we spend time together this morning, we want to ask the Lord, would you, from your word, inform us so that you can transform us? And would you, to that end, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we're not just here for more words, although we'll hear words. We're not here just to wake up in the morning because that's what we're supposed to do on Sunday. We're not here to just sit and occupy a seat because it's comfortable for us. Father, we want to open up your word. We want to hear what you have to say to us, and we want you to um, challenge us with it. Inform our minds, but let us not just walk out of here with a fatter head. Let us walk out of here with a heart and a passion to know you and to be transformed by you. And so we pray that this morning. Every one of us in this room, our hearts are ready to be gripped by you and challenged by you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to read uh, five short verses here. And as we read, I want you to do something as we read um, to just kind of think about what Jesus is doing. 
If you have a journal with you and some of you guys are like, I don't, I don't write in a journal, you know, like that's girl stuff. No. So if you, if you don't have a journal but you have a notebook with you or if you have paper with you or even the um, worship folder that you got when you came in, write some notes on this. Write some things down of what you see uh, Jesus doing. Um, write down, um, the, th this is action-packed five verses that we're going to read uh, this morning. Um, so write down what you see Jesus doing. Um, write down who you see him doing, uh, whom you see the, him doing that to, who's in the story, why they, are they in the story, what are you learning about Jesus, like be an active listener, an active reader, um, and then as we get kind of closer to the end, just be asking questions, well, what does this mean for me? What, what does this mean for us as a body? What does it mean for my family? What does it mean for me and how I live? What does it mean for me and how I work and how I approach the things that God has me doing in my life? Like we read in Hebrews uh, chapter 4 that the scriptures are alive and active, right? That it's sharper than any double-edged sword. That the scriptures are able to separate between soul and spirit. That it's able to kind of get in between joint and marrow. That it's able to uh, uh, help us to discern and to show us the intentions of what's going on in our heart. Not just what we do, but it's able to show us the intentions uh, of what's going on in our heart. And if that's true, and I believe that it is, and if it's true that the Word of God is so alive and it's so active, then what that means is that it was never intended for us to just leave it on the shelf. That it was intended to be in our hands and in our minds so that we could know Jesus. And so that we could grow up into maturity in him. And so when we read and what we read, we want to work its way down into our lives where we're beginning to see this transforming work of the power of God in us. And so he moves through us. You guys with me right now? Okay. So what we want is we want the word of God in us so that the Holy Spirit can use it to move us so that we might be able to follow Jesus. And this is something that the disciples were experiencing right in real time as we read this. And as we sit here now, this isn't something that's changed over the last couple of thousand years. This is the way that it was always intended to be. The disciples, as they're hearing Jesus and walking with Jesus, they have the Old Testament scriptures that they've been living on and leaning on throughout their lifetimes. But as they're with Jesus now, in a way, He's kind of their New Testament, right? We have the New Testament in our Bibles, but he is their New Testament. He, they get to read him. And as they read him and as they spend time with him, they get to understand him more. They learn what it looks like to, to follow him. But as they lean into him, what they're learning, it's not just meant to be something that they know more about. It was meant to begin to take over in their life. And so they were beginning to, to look more like Jesus and the beginning to model the life of Christ in everything that they put their hands to. That, that's why the disciples are with Jesus right now. He's given them a crash course in what discipleship looks like and what it looks like to live for and to follow after the king. That's what we've been looking at in the whole series of Mark, right? As we started, we want to be tethered to Jesus and we want our lives to begin to look like the one that we're actually tethered to. So it was never a moment in the disciples' mind that they would just kind of hang out with Jesus and, and that would be it. Like, um, I, I get to know more about Jesus. Do so you think they ever, like, were hanging out and they're sitting and they're watching Jesus feed 5,000 plus or 10,000 or 15,000, however many were on that hillside? And they're like, man, I'm just really glad I get to know this about Jesus. Do you think as they watched the compassion of Jesus, they just got to think, man, I'm really glad I get to know more about this. As they spent time with Jesus, it wasn't just about knowing about him more. It was about being transformed by him so that they could know him, 
but they could learn how and know how to follow him as well. And what we're going to see in today's passage that we look at is what they learned about Jesus. It's something that we hear about and we read about, and some of us do naturally, but some of us is just so countercultural. And it was definitely countercultural in the day that they were living. They're going to learn about what it's like to live with compassion, the compassion of Jesus, and they're going to learn about the perfect timing of Jesus. And so if you're writing things down or you're typing things in, you're going to want to scribble down somewhere the compassion of Jesus and the perfect timing of Jesus. Because both of these items are things that challenge us to the core. Things that we know, but they deeply challenge us. Am I compassionate? Do I trust that Jesus' timing is better than my own uh, kind of uh, uh, timing? And so you're going to want to write those things down so that when you see them again at some point, you're able to go back to like, oh, this is what we talked about right here. Um, So let me read these five verses, and you guys make some notes as we read. Starting in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His, eye, his, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. So we read this, and we've got a couple housekeeping things that we've got to talk about. Mark is the only gospel writer who's going to include this account. There are a lot of miraculous things that all four of the gospel writers write down. They all record and they put their little bit of a, um, their, their spin on it or they, they put their stamp on it as they, as they write it. But this is the only one that Mark actually includes. Now, if you're one of the, the, the guys or gals who likes to kind of keep notes of like fun little facts, um, there are seven instances where uh, Jesus heals somebody in the New Testament. All of them are written in, in different ways in how the healing took place, okay? This particular story is only found in Mark in the way um, that he, he tells it. Every one of the others is, comes out in, in a different way, and the healing happens in a different way. And so there's something in here that Mark wants us to know. And it's not just the fact that Jesus healed somebody's eyes, although that is absolutely amazing, right? It's a miraculous thing. But it's not the first time that he's done that. He's actually done that six other times other than this one. Or he's going to do it six other times. And they've already seen other miraculous things. And so it's not just the miracle that Mark wants us to see here. There's got to be something else about Jesus that we're supposed to take away from this story. And so as we look at it, we want to ask ourselves, what's happening here around this particular healing? Who's involved in the story? How does it go down? It's easy for us to look at this miracle and be like, you know what? That's just Jesus doing Jesus stuff again. We've already seen him doing that. But I think we'd be missing what Mark actually wants us uh, to see here. So there's so much packed into these five verses. But the two things that I want us to look at, I want to show us the compassion of Jesus and the divine perfect timing of Jesus. So watch what happens. In this story, you've got another group of friends who are bringing their friend to Jesus. And this time, as they bring somebody, it's actually a blind man who they're bringing. Now, we just saw probably about a month ago, three or four weeks ago, um, that there was a man who was brought to Jesus who was mute and who was, who was deaf, right? And he was miraculously healed in that moment. Now, the same thing in a different light is coming and it's happening again. And we have a group of friends who love their friend enough to come into what the scripture says they beg Jesus 
to heal their blind friend. Now, when I'm reading this, I've got to ask the question, you know, where do we get this idea that these men or these women or this group of people, that they're friends? Because the scripture doesn't actually say that it's friends of this person. The scripture actually says some people brought a blind man to Jesus. So how do we get from some people to friends here? Here's how I think that we know that these are friends, or maybe even they're more than just friends, maybe even they're family members. Now, we don't read it here in this passage, but in the Jewish culture, in the ancient world, there was this deep prejudice against anybody who had disease, anybody who had any type of disability, and they were looked down on and outcast in the society. People didn't associate with the lame and the sick. If anyone was born lame, they were cast out. If anybody became lame later in their life, they were also considered cast out. And the, one of the, the deep reasons why, why, why this happened is because if somebody was born lame or if they became lame later by some type of accident, they just assumed that that person had messed up significantly enough in their life that they had just ticked God off. And, and because that they had made God mad, uh, or because there was such a deep level of sin in their life, God had just kind of washed his hands of them, and he was through. And so if God was through with them, then maybe we're supposed to be through with them as well. And so the lame from birth or after birth, they were just considered outcasts because they had messed up and they were under God's judgment. And it may not even be that person only who had sinned and messed up. It could go all the way back to their parents or their grandparents. Um, maybe like that, that child or that adult was like, I didn't do anything wrong. But their parents had sinned or their parents had messed up. They assumed that it was somebody's mistake. That's why we read in John chapter 9 where the disciples come across another blind man and they ask Jesus. They say, Rabbi, what's going on here? Was it this man's sin that led to this? Or was it there's his parents' sin that led for him to be in the condition that he's in, which gives you a little bit of an insight to what the world thought about what was going on when they saw somebody lame, because this was a person who was born blind. So how could this young child have been born blind if it wasn't somebody else's fault? It would have been from a previous life, you know, that was kind of the mindset back then, or it would have to be from his parents. And so they asked Jesus, What's the deal here? And Jesus goes on and he says, it's, it's not because of this man's sin or a parent's sin. This is simply so the power of God might be displayed so that all might be able to see. But this is how people thought about disabilities. So people thought about disease during the day. And so people just isolated anybody who had disabilities or disease. They wouldn't talk with them. They would not touch them. They just acted like the person didn't even exist. Now, I like to put ourselves into the story when we read. Now, imagine that's you, that you're the outcast in the story, that you've been tossed out, that you've been forgotten, that you've been left to kind of fend for yourself. You've got no real community, uh, maybe not even family around you. You want to talk about a deep-set depression? You want to talk about feeling angst in your soul? Every time that you are hungry and you've got to go to the market, you know how people are going to look at you and perceive you and treat you. You want to talk about feeling like life isn't even worth living anymore? That was the daily reality of somebody who was living in this marginalized group of people. It was a small group and sector in society. There was no compassion 
for somebody who is in a scenario like this. None whatsoever. Instead of compassion, they just got judgment. They just got looks. They just got mistreatment from other people. And so I say that these were friends and family members or family members because only a family member is going to fight for you like that. Only a friend is going to fight for you like that. Somebody who loves you deeply is going to bring you before Jesus and beg on your behalf. Moms and dads, if you've got children with special needs or you've got um, children that just t- it takes a little bit extra in order to get them going, or if you're a sibling of somebody um, who had special needs growing up, you know what this is like. You felt the judgment that's come from others. You go to the grocery store or you, uh, you're in any type of public scenario or setting and your child just starts screaming and acting up or starts running around like crazy and, and everybody else is looking at you like, what the heck? Like, what's wrong with your child? Or what's wrong with you that you would let your child do something like that? And you know what's going on. You know the scenario. You know how you parent in that scenario. You know what your child needs, but nobody else does. And there's this judgment that gets looked upon with you. And, and, and you know how you spend your days. You fight for your child. You love your child. You're on the phone 12 hours out of your week or 12 hours sometimes out of your day and you're calling doctors and you're scheduling therapy appointments and you're, you're fighting against a system that feels like it's more against you than it actually is for you. It's not easy to walk a road like that and you know the looks and the feels that you get from people around you. This is the second time that Jesus has found himself in a scenario like this. This is the second time that friends bring somebody to Jesus who were in this exact same scenario. Friends fighting for their person, and they were bringing people to Jesus. I think Mark wants us to know something about this. I think Jesus wants the disciples and us to know something about this. That compassion was never meant to be some type of of social construct that maybe you can enter into or maybe you can exit out of if you somehow feel like it. No, that compassion wasn't a social construct. Compassion for people was always meant to be a gospel reality. Something that we see in the life of Jesus, something that we see lived out amongst his people, and something that should always be a part of who a disciple of Jesus is. Compassion isn't optional. It's always been a part of who Jesus was and who we're supposed to be also. Because when we follow Jesus, we not only find compassion for ourselves, because we wanted that, right? We want to enter into that. But it's not just for us, when we've experienced it, we learn how to show compassion to others as well. And so one of the questions that should be somewhere percolating inside of you is, and then popping up right now, is, is compassion a part of my life? Is compassion a part of who I am? I mean, I want people to show me compassion. I want people to be empathetic to me. I want people to show me grace and mercy. I want to be able to walk lightly with others and, and know that I'm going to be accepted. But I, am I the kind of person that's accepting of those around me? Do I give compassion like that? Am I known as a dude that's just deeply compassionate? Am I known, are you known as, as, as a gal? Like, man, when somebody looks at you like, man, she is just oozing the compassion of Jesus. Is compassion a reality in my life? And if it's not, Man, let's just own that, right? Let's just own it and say, that's not been a part of who I am. And let's take that to Jesus and say, Jesus, you've got some work to do in my heart. Like, it's been hard for me, so would you do something in me? Because I see that in your word, and I want to be available. I don't want to just be smarter in my noggin. I want you to 
use your word not only to inform me, but to begin to transform me, and particularly in this area of compassion. So watch what Jesus does here. It was a big deal to touch somebody who was sick. Remember, um, it's easy for us to focus on the miracle that we know is getting ready to come. But I want you to watch how Jesus navigates amongst people, how he just lives, a part of who he, he is. He walks over to this blind man in the story. Make sure you're looking at the scripture there. He walks over to the blind man, and he, scripture says he takes him by the hand. Now notice, if you're taking somebody by the hand, what do you have to do? You have to touch them, right? You have to enter into this cultural taboo where everybody said, you can't do that. That is not supposed to happen. Jesus enters into this cultural taboo, but not only does he, he break the societal norm, but he allows himself to become what others would call spiritually unclean in this moment, that he has now become tainted by the person that he's touched. He is, reaches down and he takes the man's hand and he gently guides him through the crowds and out of the village. Don't miss this. Put yourself back into the story. I want you to feel how tender of a moment that this is with Jesus. This man can't see, and when you can't see, it's not easy to navigate around, is it? I remember, I don't know how, like, you've raised your kids or whatnot. I knew how I grew up as a kid, um, uh, just kind of crazy, and, uh, but we try to keep our kids from being crazy. It doesn't happen most of the time, but we try, um, but we like to do kind of object lessons with them sometimes when we're kind of sitting around and we feel like we're on our game. When I'm telling you this story, it doesn't happen all the time, is what I'm trying to say, okay? But one time, uh, we were sitting around and, and we said, you know what, Let, let's give an object lesson. And I don't know if it was particularly out of this passage, but it was the idea of Jesus healing, healing the blind man or healing a blind man. And uh, so we turned off all the lights in our house. We gave our kids blindfolds and, uh, and ourselves also. And they had to start at point A and they had to make it to point B. Point B had something that they had to grab as part of like a TV remote or something like that. They had to go grab it and they had to bring it back to point A. Now, all the lights are off, the blindfold is on, you can't see anything. So imagine walking through, not being able to see. It's not easy to be blind. It's not easy to navigate your world. And, and so we're walking through and we're slamming into things, toes are being hit, elbow work, just walking in the walls. It's a unique scenario. You know where you're at for about seven steps. And then once you get past where you started from, like, okay, this room just got bigger. <laughs> like, where, where's everything at? And, and so you find yourself, like, thinking, gosh, I really wish I could take off this blindfold so I can see. Or maybe I really wish somebody would come by and take me by the hand and guide me so I could stop smacking into things, right? This is what happens with Jesus. Jesus reaches down, and he takes this man's hand, and he guides him past people. And he, like, just think about how gentle and tender this is. Jesus is guiding this man out of a busy town. He's moving him through a marketplace, maybe. He's navigating around tables, dogs walking all over the place, making sure that he doesn't hit things, and he gently leads him out of the village until it's just this man and Jesus standing on the outskirts of the village with the disciples somewhere in their midst. Now, there's a couple of reasons that scholars uh, tend to say that Jesus takes this man out of the city. Uh, a lot of different commentators say that Jesus took him out of the city because the town that they were in, of Bethsaida at the time, um, this, this is where the story is taking place, um, that, that it was under God's judgment at the time because they had rejected Jesus and Jesus was rejecting the city, and so God had rejected the people of the city. And there was judgment. 
that was happening on Bethsaida at the time. But it doesn't mean that God didn't still care and love the people who were inside of the city, okay? He cared about those who were there. So I think that there's more going on here. I think that Jesus, he gets this man away from everybody else because this healing wasn't for everybody else. You know, a lot of times you, you see a healing happens so that the whole city or the soul, the whole village might be able to be transformed. Um, Jesus in John 9, when you see him heal this other blind man, then they ask him, like, whose sin was it? Was it the, was it the mom and dad or was it this man's sin? So no, it, it's nobody's sin. It's so that God might be proclaimed so that God might be seen. That's what usually happens with a miracle. It's a big deal so that everybody can see it, so that people might believe. But here, that's not what's going on. He takes him out of the city because it wasn't for everybody else. This one was just for this man. Maybe a little bit for the disciples too, but it was just for this man. I want to know if you can see the compassion that Jesus shows here. This compassion is deeply personal. And if it's personal for this man, do you know what that means for us? If Jesus was willing to reach out to this outcast, that means that he's willing to look at our deep need. He's willing to look at that thing that we're going through, that thing that has been a black mark on our life, that thing that feels like, man, I just, if I could just have some healing from that, that would be fantastic. And whatever needs a touch from Jesus in our lives, that he's willing to do it. But there's no social norm that's too big. There's no event that's happened in your life that's left you too far from him. Um, you've not done too much that won't allow him to look at you and have the same kind of compassion for you, an outcast, that he has for this man who's outside of the city in this moment, that he is willing, that his compassion knows no bounds. And so we wonder sometimes, does Jesus still heal? Yeah, he still heals. And we wonder sometimes, does Jesus still care? Yes. He still cares. Deeply he cares. And the story is about to get interesting as we keep going. Um, he uh, heals this man, but the way that he does it is very interesting. And I think that Jesus has something that we need to understand about him in this. Look at verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Let's get it out of the way, okay? Jesus uses a spit again to heal someone. It's the same thing that he did a few weeks ago um, when we were in the passage with the deaf and the mute guy. He uses his spit to heal somebody. And we asked the question, why does Jesus keep using his spit to heal people? That's a great question. And I read commentator after commentator after commentator. And every commentator, or maybe not every one of them, but a lot of them have differing opinions on why Jesus uses a spit. And here's the conclusion that everybody has. At the end of the day... We really don't know. We don't. We have no idea. Um, I was listening to a, uh, a sermon on this passage by Pastor David Platt, and I wanted to see what, what, what's David say about this. And so um, I was reading, or I was listening to it, and he said, uh, in this passage, it had the idea of something like this, that Jesus was letting people know that there is something out of me that is able to heal something in you. That something out of me that can heal whatever is going on in you. And it doesn't matter how small it is. It doesn't matter how big it is. The fact that it is coming out of me, it can heal you. And what we perceive sometimes to be so big and so overwhelming, whether it be a disease, whether it be a disability, 
Whether it be a job, whether you have one or you don't have one, you want to get a different one or you're afraid of you're about to lose it or your kids are um, at different stages and you're not figuring out how to parent them very well or still dealing with COVID or racial tensions and a diagnosis that you got in the mail or got a call and you weren't expecting that and it just completely come in and wreck your world. Whatever feels so overwhelmingly big is covered by a simple touch of Jesus. Even a little spit can heal it. That's something, isn't it? A little bit of something out of him is able to heal anything that's going on inside of us. But here's where I, I think the rubber begins to meet the road and it begins to get a little bit practical. Because we all have things that feel a little bit overwhelming. And they just feel big for us. And we just, we're just like, God, I, I, I'm waiting for a miracle. I'm waiting for a healing. And, and, and I've been praying for it. And it hasn't come. I've, I've seen others talk about miraculous things that you've done in their lives. I, I've physically seen people get better because somebody has prayed for them. I see it happening all around me, but I've been in this thing and it's been going on and I've been praying and I'm not seeing anything happen. Here's where the rubber begins to meet the road for us. Like when I read this, do you know what I do? Um, we've got a daughter uh, who's... Um, got significant down syndrome she's hanging out back there uh in the second row to the back if you've never met her that's laney um but she not only has significant down syndrome but she also has significant autism and she can communicate with us and she can use signs uh in order to do that um but her speech uh is impaired she doesn't have any words or just very a couple little words uh and her mind is altered um, by the syndrome that she carries and that she wears on her face and when i read this and I see that Jesus can spit on a dude's eyes and heal him. Uh, I go home and I pull my daughter real close. And um, I don't spit on her, okay? For you guys who are like, man, he takes this really literally. Um, I, I don't spit on her, uh, but I pull her in close when uh, I get the opportunity to lay her down at night. And I kneel beside of her. And I, I begin to pray. Jesus, your compassion runs so deep. And you care enough and are power enough to heal a blind man with your spit that you can open my daughter's mouth if you want to. And words can begin to come out. And I pray that beside her bed. And I've, I've prayed that over time since, since she's been in our family. Uh, but there, uh, there have been in the last two to three weeks where I, I started to kind of dig into this passage where every time now, every time that I kneel down beside her bed, this is what I'm praying. And you know what I'm expecting? I'm expecting that she's going to be like, thanks, Dad. Appreciate that prayer. I'm expecting him to do that because I believe that he can still heal, right? Like his word tells us that he can do that. And so as I'm praying, I'm expecting that to come out. But he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't, but I believe that he can do it. Um, and so two fundamental questions come out of something like that. Like for all of us who are still sitting in these overwhelmingly large things, one is, do I believe that God is big enough to do it? Do I believe that he is powerful enough to do it? And then the second one is, do I believe that he cares enough to do it? Do I believe that he can? And do I believe that he cares to do it? You have things that are overwhelming in your life too. Jesus cares and he's able to do it. His well of compassion is as deep of, as the ocean. It has no bounds. It has no bounds. But what do you do when it doesn't happen? What do you do when you're still kind of in the waiting 
and, and it doesn't happen according to your timetable. Because I'm praying for things that haven't happened yet. You're praying for things that haven't happened yet. I'm waiting for healing. You're waiting for healing. There are things that we want to change in our life, and we're expecting God to show up and do it, but it, yet it hasn't happened yet, or it hasn't happened according to the timetable, and there's been frustration that sat in. Here's the last challenge before we get ready to wrap up here. It is uh, Jesus' compassion is on his timetable. The compassion of Jesus is on his timetable. It's not on our timetable. One of the biggest questions that comes up out of this passage is, why doesn't Jesus heal this man immediately, right? Like, why does it happen in stages? Why doesn't it happen, uh, like, why doesn't Jesus spit on him if that's what he's going to do to heal him, and it, hap- and it is a, uh, like mer- a miracle in an instant? Why is it this, this gradual kind of a healing? Well, here's how it goes. Jesus said, do you see anything? And then verse 24 And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Well, yes, the miracle was there, and that's amazing, but why didn't he do it the first time? Why did it take two times? This is the only miracle that we have in all the scriptures that we, that we read of, that it didn't happen instantaneously, that it happened in a gradual pace. So we have to ask, why did it take two times? Did he run out of spit power? Was this one bigger than he could handle? It's the same thing that we ran into with the, uh, um, the, the, the mute and the deaf guy. Like, you know, why spit? Why would Jesus choose to do it? Was it too big? Was it not possible any other way? If you read different theologians and commentaries, um, they're all going to have different answers according to this. But here, here's what I think the real answer is. I think this is just the way that Jesus chose to do it. And we're going to look at some spiritual insights that are going to come out, when, uh, or not next week, but the following week, where um, Jesus is going to ask uh, the disciples. He's going to say, um, who do people say that I am? And you're going to get different perspectives on who they are and the different spiritual sight that is going to be from others and, um, and what he's expecting out of the disciples. We're going to see how this actually applies in a little bit. But in this moment, I think this is just significantly um, a, a detailed um, uh, excursus of who Jesus is. He does things the way that he wants to do things, even if we don't understand the way that he does it. He does it according to his timetable, the way that he wants to do it, whether we understand the timetable uh, or not. This is just simply how he chose to do it in this moment. It's not a lack of ability. Um, we've seen him heal so many times already in the scriptures. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him feed thousands of people with a couple of fish and some loaves. It's not a lack of ability. This is just simply on his timetable. This is how he chose to do it in, in this instance. And here's what I think is lying under the surface for us, okay, that I think might be happening here. There are things in this life that take time. Not only is there healing that takes time, but there's some spiritual realities that take time for us to understand, some spiritual insight and maturity that takes time for us. It doesn't happen overnight. Jesus was trying to communicate to the disciples who were with him and anybody else who might hear of the story as well, um, that spiritual sight and maturity, that it's not instantaneous, that learning to grow up and learning to trust Jesus, learning to take steps that are in the direction towards him. These aren't things that just happen overnight. These are things that grow over time and they develop in time. 
And he is compassionate enough and loving enough to let us grow and, yes, even stumble along the way sometimes. But yet he doesn't leave us in any of it, that he is with us in every single step of the way. Even if we feel blind in the moment, he doesn't leave us. We are growing in this relationship with him. And just because we're not where we want to be yet or because we've had certain setbacks in our lives or we haven't had the healing yet that we've been praying for or that we've been hoping for, it doesn't mean that God's timing is off. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he's done with us. It just means that his mercy and his grace and his healing, it's being worked out in our lives at his pace. He's bringing us along as he sees fit, not as we want to go. He's bringing us along at his um, pace. Um, We are people who want what we want and we want it now. Are we not? We're Burger King, right? We want it our way. Um, Jesus wants it his way. And we are under his timetable. But yet in the middle of all of it, he never ceases to be compassionate in us, for us, and around us. His compassion runs deep, and his timing is perfect. And so here's just kind of what I want us to do um, this week. Um, It's it's, it's really easy. It's kind of how we started off. The only way that we're going to understand the compassion of Jesus and the timing of Jesus is if we open up his word, right? Like, we're not going to, like, we're not going to bump into understanding Jesus. Um, We're we're not going to accidentally back into theological understanding. Um, We're not going to just figure out how to navigate life on our own without opening up his word. Um, He shows us what his compassion looks like. He shows us what his time, and the more that we understand him and the more that we understand how he works through his word, the more we may not like how it's working out in our life at the moment, but the more we can trust that he's working in the moment. Does that make sense? We can't have spiritual eyes without the Lord opening them. We just can't. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. Um, I'm going to give you a 15-minute reading challenge this week, right? For, for you guys who read every day of the week and you spend time with Jesus, 15 minutes is nothing to you. But for those of us who struggle to wake up and to read, like this is a big deal. To, to set on your calendar 15 minutes to just read and to spend time with Jesus, opening up his word and say, would you open up my eyes so that I can see? Would you let me see your compassion? Would you let me see your timetable? And that means for every one of us in here that we've got obstacles to overcome, don't we? Laziness. Who battles that joker? Every day of my life, I wake up and like, Lord, I am tired of being lazy. And then I wake up lazy again. I mean, I was just talking, like, Ashley and I finally got to go out on a date the other night. And, and, we, and we were talking about, like, it was our anniversary, 16 years, just love her to pieces. And we were having this great conversation, like, what do we want to be better in this next year? Like, how do we want to do things differently? And I just said, I just want to stop being lazy. And, and so that's an obstacle that I have to overcome. There are other obstacles too. Priority. Like, what's priority in your life? Like, if it's a priority for you, you make time for it. Busyness gets in the way. Like, we've got kids, and we've got schedules, and we've got business due dates, we've got things that we've got to get turned in, right? We've got school and all that business. Like, we've got to overcome that obstacle to set aside time to spend time with Jesus. We <clears throat> do. There are things that, that get in the way. Um, but I think if you ask Jesus to give you that space, he's going to provide that space. 
we went to uh, um, family camp uh, a few weeks ago. We just have a, a fantastic time. Just love being together um, and, and having uh, just a, a week where we just get to focus on our family and building into each other and being challenged by the speaker who's there. And um, just, It's just a, a good time. There was a speaker um, who was just pouring into us every day, and, and, he's, and he said this quote, and as long as I still have my faculties about me, I don't think I'll ever, I don't think I'll ever forget this. Um, and it was, it, it was deeply challenging, and he said it, but I think it was a quote from, from Francis Chan. He said, you can't be close to God and far from his word. Isn't that something? You can't be close to God and far from his word. Those two things go together. So as we open up the scriptures and we spend time there and we say, Lord, give me your eyes to see. Let me see your compassion. Let me see your timetable in my life. He'll give us those eyes to see. We'll grow closer to him. We cannot grow in maturity without his word. We just need it so deeply. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thanks for time together with, with my friends and our RCC family here and guests who have just come to hang out with us. And it's just an a incredible gift um, that I get just get to be here and share with my, with my friends that you allow me this platform. So thank you for that. Um, we want to be challenged by you. Lord, we, we just want to pray this week that you would inform us so that you can transform us. Let us open up your word so that you can give us insight into your word. And then we pray that you would use it to transform us. Particularly in this area of seeing your compassion and living in your compassion. But also in accepting your timetable and living according to your timetable. And not giving up, believing that you are big enough and that you care about us. So we're going to trust you. And we're going to walk forward with your spirit this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.